Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians 3, verses 18 to 21. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The word of the Lord. Grace and peace, Redeemer. Y'all doing all right this morning? Amen. Well, I am Jonah Hooper. I am the Reform University Fellowship Campus Minister at Winston-Salem State University. And uh, I'm thankful for the privilege of being with you this morning in the absence of my brothers, Giorgio and Chris. And uh, I want to include you this morning in on some of the work that we're working through in RUF um, through the book of Colossians. My students are, are learning what it means to, to know the person and the work of Jesus. And Colossians is a book that really breaks down uh, this uh, truth of who Jesus is in a really healthy way for this new gospel community. And so we're working through this. And so I want to include you on, on one of the passages we're going to be working through um, this, this spring uh, in Colossians 3. Um, verse 18 down to verse 21, um, and a message that I like to call family matters. Family matters. I, um, I grew up in a generation that was shaped by uh, the families that were on TV. Uh, as a product of the 80s especially, uh, it was interesting for me uh, to see uh, especially black families prominently recognized on television. Uh, there was this shift away from uh, shows like The Jeffersons and Good Times um, that were being replaced at the time by The Cosby Show. The Cosby Show was a game changer because it was a shift away from what it meant to be black and poor or on the up and coming to more of a middle class educated reality uh, that was far more like my own family itself. I wouldn't even call that, though, the golden age of families on television, uh, because that, for me, didn't come until the 90s with stuff like Sister, Sister, or The Fresh Prince, or uh, even The Simpsons were coming on TV. But by far, what probably we remember most from these years is Family Matters. Who knew that this skinny black kid with these big glasses and suspenders and jeans jacked up, two-tone shoes with a cardin, cardigan would be comedic genius. Steve Urkel, despite uh, being clumsy and annoying, was the truest friend to Eddie and Carl and the whole family. But Laura, though, uh, Laura drove Steve crazy. Laura was the dream girl who was beautiful and smart and funny and everybody knew her and she had absolutely no time for Steve Urkel or at least not until Steve became Stefan Urkel. <laughs> Steve was the school geek who uh, everyone just laughed at, but Stefan was smooth and he wore a white suit like the black dude on Miami Vice. 
And as I thought about being with you this week, I realized just how many of us are like Steve. And yet what we want others to see in us is Stefan. We want people to see the, the false narrative that we've created for ourselves. It's out of this idea then that we can ultimately change ourselves, that legalism takes its root. It's to seek freedom from sin with methodology rather than a transformed heart. It's why so many of us have struggled with things like pornography and sexuality because we never address the root causes of hurt and powerlessness and fear and pride and the list continues on. But I can assure you that we will never see change until Jesus radically transforms the heart. It's actually easier uh, than you think, though, to see the way that legalism manifests itself uh, within the life of the church today. Uh, in fact, it's mostly through behavior modifications. Uh, you can just pray more. Uh, you can be a part of this group for accountability. Uh, you can go to this kind of church. You can read this specific book. And oftentimes, none of it points us to exactly where we need to go, which is Jesus. This is exactly the kind of legalism that Paul seeks to address here in the book of Colossians. The idea that we're really much like Steve, but we can present ourselves as Stefan. This is the kind of ideology that directly contradicts the pursuit of holiness. And even though uh, through these perceived good things, we have to know that there is no behavior modifications or traditions of men that can earn us favor with God. The Apostle Paul at the time of writing to this new church in Colossians was uh, imprisoned in Ephesus. And though he didn't know many of the people in the church, he hadn't visited it yet, uh, the pastor Epaphras was one of his homeboys. And Epaphras goes to see Paul who is locked up and he's probably uh, with him for some time because uh, as Paul writes, it's pretty clear that he's addressing all the highs and lows of what it means to be a part of this new gospel-centered community. He wants them to, to grow in their faith, but also to dispute uh, even those who are within the church who had brought in these legalistic ideas things that would distract them away from the freedom that is found in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of God's own work of cosmic reconciliation to a world that is hopelessly lost without him. Here in Colossians, Paul is painting this beautiful picture of the person and work of Jesus as he alone is sufficient for us. And I hope that even as we look to these few short verses, you will see just how good the good news of the gospel is for us. As husbands and wives and children know that there is hope for us, there is forgiveness for us, there is reconciliation for us. And by the power of the Spirit and the ongoing work of sanctification, there is a life of holiness for us. <laughs> 
legalism is only then refuted with truth. And the truth of our God as the sovereign creator of all things. The, the truth of his son Jesus who came to earth and though completely sinless, he died to atone for our sin. And today he sits at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning above all things. The truth that the Holy Spirit uh, who empowers a life of righteous living. The truth that you and I have been called out of darkness into the light of his son. So that our identity rests not in what this world dictates to us, but in the steadfast love for us. I recognize, though, that to live in this way that these verses demand is to live in a completely countercultural reality. Christians have never much been interested in, in the status quo or political correctness as our faith itself calls us to live in a different way, loving our enemies, being gracious and kind to those who have not responded to us in much the same way, turning the other cheek because we are a people called to live in grace and peace with God and with others. So fam, look with me at verse 18. It says, uh, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I realize this verse alone gets me in a bunch of trouble, uh, but know that submission is not an attribute that comes naturally for any of us. And while I know that we like to think of ourselves as being culturally advanced, from the world of the scriptures know that our sisters have always been outspoken about inclusion and acceptance. Luke's gospel with great intentionality distinguishes women as a vital part of the support for Jesus's earthly ministry. It is Luke who gives us the stories of Elizabeth's pregnancy uh, the prophetess Anna and her gratitude for a precious baby boy born for humanity's redemption. And, and Mary's song as she sings praises to God at the news that she will carry the, the God who dwelt among us. The woman who cleanses the feet of Jesus with her tears. The scriptures tell the stories of great women of faith who are well loved by Jesus. A love not, not out of objectivity, but of tenderness and compassion that honors them, even in a society that did not acknowledge their worth. It's imperative to note the distinction of Jesus' loving relationship to women in this way, um, because Paul only seeks here uh, to further establish this truth. A wife in submission to her husband is not to be uh, ruled over or demeaned or dominated, but in Christ-like love for her, to be led by her husband. And yet I don't want us to miss that he roots this idea in that it is fitting in the Lord. The relationship of husband and wife is, is to live in a new humanity that unites us in what I call family matters. No hiding but to be uh, fully unveiled, to have the fruit of the gospel in us 
as we seek to, to truly model what it means to love God and others, even when it means death to our pride, death to our selfishness, so that we can truly live in what it means to have Christ-like affections for another. And while I know that we often find ourselves comfortable in discussions on the oppression of people and in things like race and socioeconomics, but brothers, let me just tell you that we've missed it in the ways that our sisters have suffered. And often the reality is that this has come by our own hands. This is an evil that has existed for far too long, and yet uh, we shouldn't be surprised because God himself in the Garden of Eden told us that this would be true. So let me warn us, brothers, against using our sister's call to submission to deny the unique equality we've been called to live into. The world does not understand this. But let me assure you that just as Jesus shares equality with God the Father, he also graciously lived in submission to him, giving himself for the redemption of our sin. Let me just say as a pastor that I cannot with integrity stand before you to preach this truth without acknowledging even my own need for repentance. A repentance for all the times I've not loved my wife well, and this scripture is a helpful reminder that my wife exists for his glory. And her submission is for the sake of Jesus, that he alone might be glorified. In verse 19, we read, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I know to many of us, it seems like after wives being told to submit, uh, for the brothers to be called to love has to seem like the easy way out, right? And I so wish that I could say that this was true. But I can promise you that it's not. We know men who are driven by money, by their careers, by success and fame and power and even sex, but how many men do we truly know who are driven by love? John Piper in the book, The Dangerous Duty of Delight says that love is an indispensable ambition for any man pursuing maturity in Christ Jesus. I'm sure this is exactly what Jesus is implying in, in John 13, as Jesus says that the world will know that we are his disciples, not because of what we know, but because of our love. And yet, brothers, is this truly what our wives believe to be true about us? In Ephesians 5, Paul continues this narrative, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. And just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, So, brothers, are we being known for our love? Or are we seeing our wives only in the ways that they serve us? Or do they know that our affection and our tenderness and our care and our provision so that what they see in us most, brothers, is Jesus? So love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Uh, It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And brothers, if This is what love is. The sisters in this room want me to tell you that we've got a long way to go. Paul goes on to say here in the verse that husbands should not be harsh with them. In the original languages, this this word harsh here is more like just don't be irritated with her. Don't be bitter towards her. Like in those moments when uh, you don't really want to hear what she has to say. You, you don't even want to be in the same room. You don't want her presence around you. Or maybe, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. In verses 20 and 21, it says, Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know, my daughter, Nariah, is 15 now. My my son, uh, who is Jonah, too, just turned 13 on Christmas Eve. And by far, the, the hardest part for me about being their dad is having to watch them grow up. And my wife, Shadia, and I were, were talking uh, a little while ago about uh, only having just two years left with Naraya at home before being off to college and into this world. And this is weird to me because it doesn't feel like that long ago when uh, we were in that room and the nurse held up this beautiful new baby girl for the very first time. And I just had to sit down because I was light on my feet, y'all. The reality is this world is crazy. You know, it was, it was just a few weeks into the school year that we saw a student in the hallway of one of our high schools. 
pulled out a gun and killed another student. It's a reminder that we can't even turn on the news without more and more political strife and growing violence in our cities, especially among young men of color. And as Christian parents, you, you just want to love your kids. You want to protect them when the best parenting strategy in this world is simply to give them over to Jesus. You know, I, I used to ask my kids what they think about my preaching, um, but I actually had to stop because my son told me that I was boring and that he'd probably uh, start to pay attention when, I got, when he got a little bit older. Um, <laughs> So my wife and I, we had to, to resolve to just truly trying to live out exactly what this text tells us. You know, the, the truth is obedience is not just about surviving youth, but it's valuable preparation for adulthood. Obedience isn't just about actions, but it's about learning to make right decisions. Decisions that even when uh, our children grow up, that we can trust God's word to ring true in their hearts. That even when they fail, that we can, with the same love of the Father, welcome them home. Notice, though, that Paul doesn't tell us this without explaining exactly why. Why do children need to be obedient? Paul says it's because it pleases the Lord. So young people know that honoring and respecting your parents is a demonstration of your value in living in faithful obedience to God. Notice, though, that this call for a child's obedience does not come without the father also then being warned against discouraging them. And believe me, I just like you want to see my children I grow up to do great things, but I can assure you that the way to get them there uh, is not through showing favoritism or withholding your love, but we've got to free them to grow and play. We've got to allow them to develop their own personalities, their, their own interests, and their own talents. And despite what this world may teach, there is incredible freedom, freedom in obedience. There is beauty in the uniqueness of our children. And as I close in Joshua 24, uh, verse 15, he says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if you hadn't seen this verse in the Bible, I'm probably sure you've seen it in Hobby Lobby somewhere. You know, while there's a lot to be said for the context of this passage, it is without question exactly the way that we are called to love and to lead well within our homes. Fam, I hope that from today forward, you think of family matters as the honoring of God's design for our homes as we seek to live out what it means to follow him, not just as a show for others to see, but to minister daily into the lives of those God has graciously placed in our lives. And I know there are probably some single folk with us today, and 
I know that I didn't forget about you because there is a great deal of dignity and singleness. And I know that deep within the Christian culture is this tendency to push you towards marriage. And if that's for you, know that I pray that you would soon find the godly man and woman that you've been praying for. Uh, just make sure you tell them they got to listen to Pastor Jonah's sermon on family matters. But on the show Family Matters, Steve Urkel had this famous saying after he would show up and mess things up. Anybody remember what that was? Did I do that? I hope if you're a wife and you're listening to this message today, you'd ask yourself, did I do that? I hope if you're a husband and a father, you'd hear this message. You'd ask yourself, did I do that? I hope if um, you're a child and you hear this message, you'd ask yourself, did I do that? And no matter how it is that we answer that, I want you to know that there is a loving Father in heaven who loved you even before the world itself was created. Knowing the depth of our sin, that he sent his son to bear the weight of the sins of humanity by dying on Calvary's cross being buried in a grave, and three days later being raised in victory, holding the keys to death, hell, and the grave that you and I might be made right with him. Because in his kingdom, the family matters. Amen, y'all be blessed.